The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, Roto-World, Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto-World Football Podcast. I'm Josh Norris. That's Ian Harditz. That is John Daigle. It is. Gentlemen, heading into week two already, it feels like we just started football, which we did, I guess. That's fair. How are you? Got a full week of actual live real football with respect to the preseason. Couldn't be better. You love preseason football. Like, I do. Do not insult preseason football. You and just a few other people get more excited than anyone else in the fantasy football world about fake football. (laughs) I'm not denying that. I'm just saying regular okay. season, still a step above. The regular season also brings time when we have to edit our columns, as you know, as we all do. Yes. And unlike a column, when you're on a podcast, you know, we're going rapid fire here. You sometimes can't think about it, and you tend to overuse words sometimes. So I will say, Josh <laughs> Norris, I have this handy-dandy mug presented uh-huh. by NBC Sports and our boss's desk. Okay. That, when I use the term especially yes. for all those playing the drinking game at home, I'm not going to allow it. I will donate to the NBC Sports mug right. every single time I say the word especially, <laughs> just as this is my governor right okay. here. So, so, moving forward. You might pivot to, like, generational or some other word. I, oh, it sounds we'll like someone's been Ooh. reading the YouTube comments here, John Daigle. Uh, there are also Twitter mentions. There's a lot okay. of especially in the mentions right now. I heard them, especially everyone that mentioned it. Just in life, there is <laughs> no time. better time to improve than when you fail, and we'll just use one of these moments as that, John Daigle. Correct? It was week one. We have 16 more weeks, so you better <laughs> fix it right now. You're I'll being tough that. on yourself, man. <laughs> well, we have a lot to get into today. We'll hit on uh, Ian's injury dashboard, which you can go check out on Roto World right now. We also welcome Nick Menzio on the show a little bit later for his notable starts and sits off the wall. I might have called them once or twice. Uh, but we will start with the Thursday night game, and this week that is Tim Bay Bucks at the Carolina Panthers. Uh, both teams coming off losses. Um, the Panthers, I would say, played a much better performance against the Rams than the Bucks did against San Francisco. I mean, I watched that first, first quarter that Tampa played in, and it was worse than you could have even imagined. Nothing was really going well, especially in the passing offense. About the only positive takeaway I had from the Buccaneers offense in Week 1 was Ronald Jones. Wow. I mean, the guy ran great. You can't take that away from him. The problem was the snaps. I mean, none of Ronald, Peyton Barber, or Dari even played 40% of the offensive snaps. Bruce Anderson has already come out and said in Week 2, we're going to see a similar situation. So, I'm not saying you can fire up any of these guys' fancy options, but... I mean, Ronald Jones literally gained more yards last week than he did his entire rookie season, and he looked good doing it. Isn't it concerning, though, that when Ronald Jones is your most exciting player in week one <laughs> after preparing for week one the entire offseason? It was literally part of a three-headed backfield, and that was the most exciting part about the game. For Ronald Jones to reach his ceiling, he still needs to take carries away from Peyton Barber because it was made clear that Dare has the 
pass-catching role that we covet in that backfield. And Peyton Barber will still start the game. Bruce Arians already said Ronald Jones will mix in behind him. So I'm still very skeptical of the backfield. I think it's still... There's still a reason, though, to go back to this Bucks offense. Um, we liked them before the season. There's no need to overreact in week one, despite how miserable they looked. Mike Evans was wheezing on and off the field. Like It was clear, despite being reported he was over that stomach virus, yeah. he was not over said stomach virus at all. Um, and O.J. Howard, another good takeaway, who played a career-high snap rate in this one single game, including 12 snaps in the slot. Like there, There's a reason to go back to all these guys. So... A lot of people drafted Jameis Winston as a starter in fantasy football. Yes. Is there any way, Ian, that you can trust him heading into week two, or are you already pivoting to another player? I'm not giving up on him for the season, but in this spot, it's really hard to trust him for sure. I mean, what happened last week? An improved 49ers front seven pretty much overwhelmed the Tampa Bay offensive line, and now we got to go back on the road short week to an improved Carolina Panthers front seven that we saw do good things against L.A. last week. But my big problem, and John, I agree with you, Evans did not look 100% last week, and now he's got a matchup against James Bradbury, who, if people don't know, I mean, 6'1", 210-pound corner, plus size, has had some of the toughest shadow matchups in the league consistently in this NFC South, and Mike Evans last four matchups against him. Against him, he's gone 560, 6-1-0-7-0, 1-16-0, and 4-48-0. So, no touchdowns, and I mean, he is the type of big physical corner that can give a guy like Mike Evans, who doesn't live on separation, problems. Due to the red flags, outside of two QB leagues and super flex leagues, it is tough to rank him inside the top 12. The red flags including division game, right. on the road, right. uh, touchdown underdogs. Like it's, it's a rough spot. Yeah, on the road. Yeah. Absolutely a difficult one. We haven't talked at all about the Carolina Panthers. I actually think in the loss against the Rams, it was just a difference of one or two plays. It was the DJ Moore fumble in the first half in the opposing territory. It was a missed long field goal. And the Rams really didn't have those mistakes until the later part of the game. Um, but it's exactly the type of offense that we expected. I mean, DJ Moore got his targets. Curtis Samuel got his targets. Greg Olson got a lot of targets over the middle, and we know just how good Christian McCaffrey is already. There's a lot of questions and buzz already in the local media um, for the Panthers that, well, Cam's not throwing down the field. We shouldn't jump to that narrative or that conclusion just yet. Just one game might not have allowed him to test vertically in the progression or what the defense gave him as well. Yeah, I agree, because that was really my only kind of concern that we do need to keep an eye on moving forward, because what was all the hype with Curtis Samuel this offseason? It seemed like every single day in yeah. practice, the guy's getting loose down the field, and all of a sudden week one comes around, and his routes and targets were more or less just kind of short crossers, which, hey, he can do plenty with the ball in his hands, don't get me wrong, but it does hurt his ceiling if Cam's not going to be thrown downfield more. But like you said, just one week, no reason to panic yet. One week, uh, the Rams' defensive line was actually a terror. I didn't expect that. And I'm just glad we got the question about Christian McCaffrey's role out of the way, the quote-unquote, we're going to take him off the field. <laughs> reducing the snaps. Because 100% yeah, of lie. the snaps is not reducing at all. No, and the Panthers just do not know how to function without him on the no. field. So there is no way that they will ever take him off. I mean, they will. He'll, he'll play close to 93 95%. But they just – this is when a tangent, injured. but I want to say it. Because for some reason, when you have one style of back on an NFL roster – General managers or head coaches believe that the secondary one should be like this power back 
in comparison to Christian McCaffrey. Why not have another secondary back that is in the same vein of the same skill set of Christian McCaffrey? I'm not saying of the same skill level, but like of a Rex Burkhead type, someone that can go in the backfield and catch passes rather than trying to get your C.J. Andersons, rather than trying to get like your Elijah Holyfields or your Jordan Scarlett. Cameron like, Art's paying, they gave up on it. Exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't make sense to have someone that you have to completely change the offense around as your secondary back. I agree with you, but how many backs are there that can't there do aren't. what McCaffrey can but do? But there are some that like catch passes and can be there, used at the backfield, and none are on the Panthers now other than Reggie Bonifant. I'm about to say, there was an answer this offseason beyond undrafted Reggie Bonifant, right. except they went the other direction. Correct. That's fair. It is just, I will point out, you know, yes, McCaffrey played 100% snaps, but, you know, 17% of those came in the slot or out wide. So I do like how I think they've made a point where maybe they won't uh, take him off the field, but if they can do a little bit to limit, you know, how many times he's going right up the middle into the, into the teeth of the defense, yeah. that could help preserve them. We would be surprised if the Panthers don't win this one, correct? Very. Correct. Yes. Correct. Want to take a quick moment to thank NFL Game Pass for sponsoring the podcast this month. As you know, NFL Game Pass allows you to go back and watch every single game on replay all season long. You can also do that with the broadcast copy. You can do that with the condensed format, which is less than 40 minutes per game, or also the coach's film. If you want to nerd out in your football lab at home, the best way to do that to get a seven-day free trial to go back and watch all of those week one performances is go to NFL.com slash RotoWorldFantasy. Again, seven-day free trial if you go to NFL.com slash RotoWorldFantasy. All right, let's go now to Ian's injury dashboard. Again, this is a new column up on RotoWorld. You can go check it out right now. It's already posted. Um, you really highlight the most important injuries and then opportunity that stems from those injuries, correct? Yeah, the big thing is uh, when the NFL removed the probable injury designation, we saw that now 80% or so of players seemingly get a questionable tag. And if you follow news throughout the week and this practice participation, it's clear that, you know, every questionable player is not created equally. So, you know, we go through, get the practice participation every single day. We have your official game status, but then we have your Roto World status. So, mm. you know, you can see guys that are questionable, but they've been full practice all week. You know, we can reasonably imply that they're more probable. And you add analysis to that injury dashboard. That's the part I want people to know is that they can tune in and whether they, even if they just look at the outright injuries, you go ahead and you guide them in the direction of trending players. Absolutely. Well, let's look at some of those notable names. The first one is 49ers running back Tevin Coleman. Um, the 49ers actually played the Bengals this week. Last week, Tevin Coleman had 23 rushing yards, 33 receiving yards, but are likely to miss somewhere between two to six weeks with a high ankle sprain. That's what it's looking like. And you said it, man, the dreaded high ankle sprain. Pretty much the last thing we wanted to see there. And, you know, Matt Breda is now locked in as the RB1 in this 49ers offense. Now, the RB1 in a Shanahan offense, we should not expect that to be 70, 80% snaps or anything like that. But the one thing I'm really excited about with Breda is that, you know, you're talking about similar backs earlier with McCaffrey. Coleman and Breda are similar backs. They can do a lot of the same things. And we saw that kind of playing out in week one. Now, I think Breda's receiving skill is on a different level than either Raheem Mostert or Jeff Wilson, who are expected Love to it. be active. So I think this could be like a Duke Johnson as Texans role, where, yes, maybe Breda splits some of the carries, only plays 60% snaps, but I think a lot of the targets are going to flow to him. Once Tevin Coleman exited late in the first quarter, it was Breda 10, 
most dirt or most air or most deer or whatever, <laughs> six. Uh, and so it's more, as you said, a running back 1A and running back 1B. And the question we have to wait for, whether it's this afternoon or later this week, mm-hmm. is to Jeff Wilson get called up from the practice squad. Because if so, that throws at least a variable into this lineup. Otherwise, you can genuinely run out Mostert probably. I'm just going to pronounce it differently. No, it's fine. Just go, um, go with Every single time. Uh, you can generally run him out as like a fringe flex option, as yeah. the second back wow. in a good matchup against the Bengals. And it is a good matchup against the Bengals because we know what Chris Carson did to them last week in somewhat limited work. I mean, and the target share that he saw in that offense. Career high, seven targets. Career high. So Matt Breida, probably a top 20 play this week. We should pump the brakes a little bit. Interesting. I mean, it, it is road. Cincinnati, they gave a few in 75 rushing yards last week. I know Carson mm-hmm. found the end zone, but it wasn't like just continuously, it wasn't like he was playing the Falcons and just, you know, running right. untouched to the second level every other play. But like I said, those concerns for me are ease, knowing that he should get most of the pass down work. Mostert, I'm a little wary to play in season long, but 3,800 on DraftKings, sign me up. I'm still... I still consider the Bengals' defense questionable. It was just one performance. Yeah. And all they did this offseason was re-sign Preston Brown, who is it's slow. Is, yeah, <laughs> who they shouldn't have re-signed. So I still think there's reason to attack this defense. But the perfect situation would be to uh, the Bengals is to stack a shootout and just hope that the Bengals' yeah. offense looks as good as they did in week one and then the 49ers look much better than they did in week one. Let's move on over to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have already lost their big prize, their big ticket free agent. That is Nick Foles, who has a collarbone injury. I believe he had surgery as well. Now he's given the IR designated to return tag. That means Gardner Minshew came in the game. Gardner mm-hmm. Minshew completed 22 of 25 passes, 275 yards, and two touchdowns. But next up is the Houston Texans. So, so sad on Foles, man. He unleashes one of his just patented teardrop deep balls, perfect touchdown probably won't play another snap for eight weeks at least. So Gardner Minshew, though, like you said, 275 yards, pair of touchdowns, broke all sorts of uh, records just with how accurate he was in his first start. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't like he was just dinking, dunking to D.D. Westbrook and Leonard Fournette all game. I mean, he was throwing down the field to D.J. Chark, you know, contested catches to Chris Conley on slants a lot in the middle. He looked really good. And it's funny how overlooked he got kind of in this process with how, I mean, with Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, the NFL is clearly embracing air raid quarterbacks now. Yet we let Mike Leach's starting quarterback, Heisman finalist quarterback, fall mm-hmm. all the way to the sixth round. He averaged just under five yards in attempt in the preseason. He was not a deep thrower whatsoever. Right. Which is, he finished his deep throw rate over 20 yards was under 10%, which makes me wary that he was just playing the Kansas City offense and then leveraged that into a successful outing. But as you said, air raid quarterback, Mike Leach, disciple. Um, that's the part that makes it exciting, especially in this matchup where Texans defense, as we saw, it was on the road against in the Superdome against the Saints. But still, we know you can act, absolutely attack them. Do you know his story at all? Like dating back no. to his college days? He was about to like almost quit football, right? Yeah, so he was going to transfer to Alabama to start his coaching career. That's right. As like a coaching assistant, maybe last string quarterback on the team. Um, but then Mike Leach comes calling. He's like, hey, come be my starting quarterback. And he does that and puts up huge numbers in the sixth round pick. On the other side of this, it's utterly ridiculous that the Jaguars trade a fifth-round pick for Josh Dobbs. I mean, I don't want to, like, bury the team that has already been buried in week one, but why? There is no point in adding Josh Dobbs to your roster. Especially for a fifth-round pick. 
Like that, that you could have just got him off the street, really, if you wanted him. It's, you don't need a fifth round pick. Could have gotten Gardner Minshew. I think they were just got so, Rudolph, honestly. They were so scarred from the last kind of eight weeks of last season, how anemic that offense was at times. I think they just want to make sure they have some semblance of competent play under center, which you know I think they will have with Minshew. That's the good news. You know, I, I think Leonard Fournette owners can not yeah. worry too much about it because I think maybe they won't be a, this game-breaking unit or anything, but I think they can definitely be an average offense with Minshew under center. Whenever this trade happened, I thought at first it said Josh Johnson, and I was like, okay, okay like Josh Johnson's a little frisky. Like He's kind of fun to watch. I'm the only person who says that, but that's that's at least reasonable, but not Josh Dobbs. Um, what is going in the mug because you did say especially? Did I really? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. No, you got nothing. See, we have an this, IOU. This is the issue right now we have with John Daigle because he comes with this prepared statement yeah. of, I'm going to put something in the mug, yet has but nothing thank you, to put in the mug. Thank you for calling happens. me out, though. Well, see, whenever you do semi TV, your backpack goes over there with your wallet, so sure. we were not prepared. All right, that's an IOU. Uh, next oh, no, up we're do is this. the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver, uh, Tyree Kill. He will be out. Thank you. Four to six weeks. That's ASMR for everyone. Um, <laughs> most importantly, though, here, Ian, the Chiefs are not placing him on injured reserve. Um, I don't even know how to explain this injury because he's out for an extended period of time, four to six weeks, but no surgery is, is required here. And then there's a massive trickle down at multiple receiver spots. We saw it with Sammy Watkins, and it might happen for Miko Hardman as well. Yeah, I'm just sticking with Tyreek for a second. I'm worried when he comes back, you know, if he's still going to provide that return value, if he's still going to get a couple uh, carries per game, because that has been one of the, you know, things that has helped make him such a dynamic fantasy threat. But, yeah, just kind of sticking to this week. So one thing people are kind of forgetting is De'Anthony Thomas was suspended week one, mm -hmm. and now he's back in the picture. Obviously been in the offense a lot longer than Miko Hardman. It's 2019, and we're talking De'Anthony Thomas. It is. I'm just saying. Like we saw Miko Hardman play 78% snaps last week You know, after Tyreek barely even played a portion of the first quarter. So I'm a little hesitant to think Hardman just kind of takes his full-time role, but at the same time, they're playing the Raiders. I don't think it matters. Put him out there for 40% yeah. of the snaps, and it might be enough. I mean, all we saw from Hardman in the preseason was what we would expect him this Chiefs speed. offense getting schemed in the open field and then letting his God-given speed take over. Better than we expect, actually. Like, I couldn't believe how developed he was, especially in the preseason. Oh, my. We're going to start catching it every time, though. <laughs> I'll, I'll donate money after the show. Uh, but, no, Hardman, I know I understand the concern, but I – after 53 snaps, nearly every single down with Patrick Mahomes, right. I just don't think they have an option outside of Hardman's speed to roll out there. Like, Sammy Watkins only got 99 air yards. And as we know, air yards predicate fantasy points because it's consistent downfield targets. But the way they used Sammy Watkins was super impressive, actually. They just rolled him out in the flats. They put him everywhere and just let him use his speed in yards after the catch. They don't have a downfield threat outside of Travis Kelsey for the opposite sideline. So I do think they still put Hardman out there for a fair chunk of the snaps. It's interesting because we saw so many big play, high variance wide receivers hit in week one. All of them. Um, and Miko Hardman did not. Maybe it's his time in week two. I also want to mention this. Do you know who the least aggressive passer per next gen stats was in week one? Patrick Mahomes. In terms of throwing into tight quarters, throwing into tight coverage, only 3% of his throws in week one. And that just speaks oh. to Andy Reid, how he can create that separation for anyone and allow them, like Sammy Watkins, to win after the catch. And Miko Harbin can definitely do that because we know he has those return skills as yeah. well. Mahomes was so fed up, apparently, with all the wide-open receivers that he airmailed Travis Kelsey oh, yeah. trying to do a no-look pass. But real quick, last thing. I mean, Sammy Watkins, no, he didn't have the air yards, but how impressive did that guy look? Every time he got 
got the ball, he was making at least one guy miss. His last touchdown of the game was straight up man on man coverage with Jalen Ramsey, and he undressed the dude. I mean, what? I've probably been more critical of Sammy Watkins than anyone. Yes. And he just, it's, it's health with him. Like, I finally yeah. determined it's all health related. And now, full offseason of being healthy and winning after the catch like he did in this game, he looked outstanding. I still think we need to temper our expectations just a little bit. I do too. Let's not expect this every single week. Well, you don't think we should expect nine of 11 <laughs> catches on targets for 198 How many times have we even done How 100 and a touchdown, though, and we just go backwards with Sammy Watkins? Because as Frisco Josh Hermsmeyer has written about, he just runs a lot of the same routes, and so that's highly uh, volatile. Right. All right, let's close out the injury dashboard with Joe Mixon, um, who, like we mentioned, are playing the, I should say, the Bengals are playing the 49ers. Joe Mixon, this is an interesting one, right? Because it's a low-grade ankle sprain for Mixon. He had just 10 rushing yards and six carries prior to exiting with his injury. And then we saw Gio Bernard handle a massive workload. Every single touch. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, look, he got rolled up on. It didn't look great, but Zach Taylor, head coach, has already come out, said it's a day-to-day injury. Definitely nothing like uh, Tevin Coleman owners need to worry about, which is good. But I don't know. It's I'm, This is probably the most important like guy to monitor for practice participation because if, if Mixon isn't practicing all week or if he's even limited all week, there's a chance that even if he is active, we see a lot more Giovanni Bernard. Now, if Mixon's out, fire up Giovanni Bernard in every single fantasy mm-hmm. format you can find. I mean, look, we've had four games without Mixon over the past two years in those games Giovanni Bernardo has had at least 19 combined carries and targets in every game and he's played 85% snaps 88% 88% and then his worst game you know quote-unquote was only 60% so yeah. he will be the featured RB to a heavy extent if Mixon's out they have Travion Williams behind G- Giovanni Bernard who they didn't even attempt to use and then also Samaj Piran who they got after final cuts <laughs> so in other words start Giovanni Bernard if you had asked me what roster Samaj Piran was on Maybe the 28th guess would have been the Cincinnati. (laughs) It's the fourth string you're on the Bengals. Uh, So don't worry about Bernard. There is so much news in the injury world. I'm sure you want to go rapid fire here with a few names. Yeah, so uh, again, check out the dashboard for literally everyone that will be on the injury report is on uh, the injury dashboard. But a couple guys to check out. Um, Devin Funches hit the IR with a broken collarbone. So coaches are saying we're going to see a committee approach with like Zach Paschal, Paris Campbell, Chester Rogers, and Deion Kane all chipping into replace. My money's on Deion Kane emerging as that guy that ends up kind of starting you know beat writers have loved him over the last two training camps and we have seen him actually come out on the field last few weeks and perform now also uh brown's offensive line we all saw that train wreck Mm -hmm. last week Mm -hmm. they could be catching a break because jets linebacker stud cj mosley is dealing with a groin injury then number three overall pick quinnon williams left the game in a boot he's got an ankle injury so something to monitor there uh eagles you know in my opinion, have the best defensive line in the league. Took a big, took a big hit there. Uh, Malik Jackson hit IR with the Liz Frank injury. Now, you still have Fletcher Cox and Timmy Jernigan at defensive Not tackle. Bad. Not bad. They're going to be fine. But you know, that Malik Jackson being out hurts. So no, no other way to put it. Uh, and then quickly, Juju Smith-Schuster toe injury. Uh, he's reportedly expected to be fine for week two. Tomlin's already said he's optimistic. Not worried about him. And then finally, Darius Geis is dealing with this meniscus injury. Such a shame, right? When the guy finally gets back on the field. But he's probably going to miss at least a few weeks. Looking for Adrian Peterson to be an early down guy, but don't underestimate the chances that Chris Thompson really has a, Hmm. I don't want to say every down roll, but he's going to play the majority of snaps. I mean, Jay Gruden, for him to come out and say that they didn't, like, he'll make AP active when they want to line up in the I formation. And And line up 33 times. Yeah. Yeah, and Come we know on. we know most like the Redskins are going to be a negative game script more than positive game script like they were in Week One. Adrian Peterson was a pickup on waiver wires, but that's why you prioritize Chris Thompson because I'm not buying the Washington hanging in like they did Week One the rest of the season.
Now we welcome Nick Minzio to the show. As you know, Nick Minzio writes these starts and sits column up on Roto World right now. Always some bold names here on the, on the list, Nick. And let's start with Josh Allen, quarterback with the Buffalo Bills at the New York Giants in week two. Yeah, uh, another road game for the Bills. Not really a road game. They just played in the stadium last week for the Jets home opener. So they'll, they'll get the Giants in their home opener in the same stadium this week. Uh, the Giants just got eviscerated by Dak Prescott last week. Uh, get 405 yards and four touchdowns passing. Uh, Allen wasn't really that all uh, spectacular in the, in the week one comeback one against the, against the Jets, but he did finish as a QB 16 that week. Uh, had a rushing touchdown through for another score. One of his interceptions was returned for a pick six, but that was pretty unlucky. He hit off uh, Cole Beasley's thigh and popped up into the air. Um, I think there's like a non-zero chance Allen could finish this week as the overall QB one. I mean, this wow. defense wow. for the Giants plays man coverage. Um, they turn their backs to the quarterback. Um, their defensive backs are downfield. That just that just opens up running lanes for quarterbacks and. Like we know, Josh Allen gets a ton of his points running the ball. And, and quarterbacks last season, Blake Bortles had 42 rushing yards against them. Prescott had 45 in a matchup against them last season. Deshaun Watson ran for 36 yards. Cam Newton had eight carries against them for 29 yards. They give up rushing yards. They give up the seventh most rushing yards to the quarterbacks last season. So I think, I think Allen is in a good spot here. QB 18 in week one despite it being an absolute miracle because of how poor he played, which goes to right. show you how strong rushing can be from the quarterback position. Yeah, and I would just... Yeah, and no, I mean, wherever I have uh, Jameis Winston and season of being, I mean, he did not look good last week, but anywhere I have him, I, I picked up Josh Allen, and I'm starting Allen over him. Mm. You know, one thing I would just add, and uh, you said it, Nick, Dak absolutely eviscerated that Giants defense, and three of those four touchdowns, like, weren't even close. Say what you will about Josh Allen's accuracy, but if the Giants turn another performance like that where receivers are just running, you know, wide open down the field, he can not only have the rushing yards, but he can put up a big day through the air as well. The Giants collected yeah, John one John pressure. Brown, just one pressure. running free a lot this, this week, John Brown. I, uh, Nick, usually I consider you a very critical person, but the way you described Josh Allen's performance in week one as, you know, not very good, uh, maybe be like the biggest compliment you've ever paid to anyone in like the last <laughs> month. I mean, Sam, Sam Donald was much, much worse. He looked scared. Sam like Donald was bad, actually. Wow. All right. Let's now go to your other start of the week. Well, one of them. You can read the rest on Nick Starts at Scallum. Uh, Will Fuller against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Nick, we know how much the Jaguars we talked about earlier on the show uh, gave up to the Kansas City offense last week. But Will Fuller only, I believe, had two targets last week. He caught both of them for 69 yards in total. Yeah, the two main takeaways for me was uh, Fuller made that awesome 54-yard catch over the top of Eli Apple. Came down hard, uh, got up, didn't miss any, any action. So he stayed healthy, played 62 of the 64 snaps. Like you said, only saw two targets, but he made the most of them, catching both of them. Uh, He's a big play threat. I mean, it, it, he just needs one play to pop as a fantasy, a fantasy asset. Wide receiver three uh, upside here in this spot. Jaguars, like you said, gave up a ton of, ton of yards to Sammy Watkins last week. They were 27th in fantasy points allowed to receivers last week on, on the heels of that game. Ronnie Harrison, their rookie safety, might have had like one of the worst games I've, ever, I've seen all last week. Uh, missed a ton of assignments deep. Um, I mean, if, if he's going to have, if Will Fuller's going to have single coverage on the back end and no safety help with safeties rotating towards DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, I'm looking at a, a big spot here for him. And in a dome in Houston, big play offense with Sean Watson, not, not scared to take shots downfield. So 
I'm going back to the well with Fuller just on the heels of him playing 98% of the snap last week. We've now had 12 games where Watson, Hopkins, and Fuller were all together. The Texans have averaged 30.8 points per game in those contests. Fuller, you know, only one week, but league-high 36-yard average target depth. He's their big play dude. It was good to see Kenny Stills, you know, kind of splitting reps with DeAndre Carter instead of Fuller. Nick, I mean, even if Kiki Kuti comes back this week, does that change your mind at all with Fuller? No, I think Fuller and Hopkins are locked in. I think uh, the bigger, biggest loser here would probably even be maybe QT. I don't know if he's going to even find his way back from this offense. I mean, Stills, like you said, looked good last week. I mean, I think I feel like QT would just take DeAndre Carter snaps and then him and Stills just fight for reps behind those two guys. Nick, let's move over to your sets. David Montgomery had a rough opening against the Green Bay Packers. Um, I, there's not that much to say about it because he just didn't get a lot of opportunities. Mike Davis saw way more work in that debut than we expected. Uh, now he takes on, though, the Denver Broncos, a Denver defense that allowed another rookie in Josh Jacobs to have quite a debut. Yeah, Montgomery was out-snapped 40-27 to 27 by my John Davis boy, Mike Davis, last week in the opener. Um, Davis also out-touched him 13-7. to 7. The offense just couldn't move the ball against Green Bay, and I think – I mean, this Denver defense didn't play all that well against Oakland in, in the opener, but Josh Jacobs racked up all those fantasy points by converting on his goal line touches, and, he's, and he did it with a bunch of work. I mean, Montgomery's not getting this workload. I mean, he had seven touches last week. I mean, we're going to need him to even approach double-digit uh, touches to even consider him as a hold-your-breath flex option right now. I mean, this offense just can't move the ball. Going to Denver, um, I just can't, I can't get behind playing Montgomery even in RB3 flex spots right now. Even if we take Cohen out of the equation since he played over 90% of his snaps at the, as a receiver role, Mike Davis outran Montgomery in routes 26-15. to 15. It's just Mike Davis was the pass-catching back that they used. It is a 30-30-30 split, and so right now it's one to avoid. Yeah, and, and this game has a 40-and-a-half point total, lowest mm. of the week. I mean, it's, mm. just, it's not one you want to attack for fantasy purposes. So you are recommending sitting David Montgomery. You're also doing that for a running back on the Denver sideline, and that is Philip Lindsay uh, against the Chicago Bears defense. The Bears defense played exceptionally well against the Packers. We know what they did against Aaron Jones in that uh, Thursday night starter. Yeah, completely eliminated Aaron Jones. Uh, Jones had 13 carries for 39 yards, uh, caught one ball for no gain. Um, uh, Broncos OC, uh, their new, new play caller, Rich Scangarello, talked all summer about wanting to have a near-even split in this Denver back backfield between Lindsey and Royce Freeman, and that's exactly what it was in week one. Lindsey played 33 snaps. Freeman handled the other 29 in the game. Um, neither of them got a ton of volume. I mean, Lindsey had 15 touches, turned him into 66 scoreless yards, and then Freeman turned his 11 touches into 61 scoreless yards. And I mean, Lindsey wasn't getting volume last year. He was just making big plays, converting his goal line chances, um, averaged over five yards to carry. I mean, He's going to have some serious regression to the mean this season. And like you said, this spot against the Bears is just not ideal for fantasy purposes. I mean, like I just said, 40-and-a-half point total um, just on a short week against a, a Bears defense that is coming off 10 days rest after playing last Thursday. So I'm not expecting much from Lindsey. He's going to need the touchdown to prove uh, any fantasy work this week. I agree with you that I'm not expecting much from Lindsey uh, this week in this spot. With that said, it was good to see Devontae Booker play literally only one snap. I mean, Lindsey did have six targets. And last year, he, I mean, he, did, he only played 50% or more snaps in seven games. So, uh, you know, maybe not this week with Roquan Smith tracking him uh, sideline to sideline. But Lindsey could hold some value as, you know, Flacco's go-to dink-down receiver this year. 
Lindsay got absolutely agree with that. Lindsay got the targets, yes, but their routes run in that game were still Lindsay 17, Freeman 16. So it was still equivalent usage. So perhaps Freeman just sees more targets since that's volatile since they're on the field similarly next week. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I think Chicago's defense obviously had a great debut, and then Denver's defense, there's a lot to be desired. You, have, yeah. you actually have to wonder, and this is a narrative, and I'm gonna, just going to throw it out there for all three no. of you. Um, you have to wonder how much different it is for Vic Fangio to call a defense from the sideline and not in the booth. Because that, that um, defense just looked awful on Monday Night Football. Yes. Just looked atrocious. That was a storyline yeah. this offseason as well. Interesting. Nick? They had football, football outsiders. Uh, worst pass rush score for the week too, like even worse oh. than the Giants and like any other any other team. They were dead last against the Raiders. They, they got no pressure whatsoever. You can check out all of Nick's start sits on his column. It's up on Roto World on Thursdays in the evening at night, something around there. You can also check out Ian Hartitz's injury dashboard, which we covered earlier in the show. And we're going to wrap it up there. I'm Josh. That's Ian. That's Daigle. We'll actually be back tomorrow with game previews, we'll be in there with Hayden Wings matchups, uh, Rotopat's rankings. So get this podcast in today, and we'll be back and talk to you all tomorrow. See you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.